You know, as I, um, as I looked at the text for today, I got a little bit worried. I mean, if you've read it, you're probably wondering, what is he going to say? Well, I'm wondering the same thing. I mean, I've read it, I've studied, I've looked over things, I've, I've checked things out, I've prayed about it, I've gone over the text. By the way, you know how you guys have rehearsal at 6 o'clock on Tuesdays? I come in here at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning, okay? And, and, and that's the way, that's part of my sermon prep, okay? Nobody's here, all right? And, and I'll get up and I'll start reading and preaching and I'm going to go. And I'll say something like, oh, idiot, don't say that. Or you can't say that. Or yes, that's one of the things God wants you to say. Well, and I look through this text and I'm thinking, there's so many things in here that, 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 that God talks about through the Apostle Paul that are, um, that are a, in the cultural context of Corinth and the other churches of that day that we have to be careful. And, and by the way, um, when I say that, I'm not saying this doesn't apply to us, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we can learn from their cultural context. <coughs> and, and so I look at this thing and I think, um, as I read this, I have to ask some questions about it. And the first question I ask is, um, is do we believe the whole Bible is the Word of God? Do we believe the whole Bible is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully ready for the work of God? Do we, do we believe that? Or do we just believe part of the Word of God? Okay? I mean, because sometimes we look at the Scripture and we go, I'm not sure about that. Anybody else? You know? You read something and you go, why did he say this and then said this? And so we've got to be careful that when we take a text like this, we don't, one, take it out of context, okay? And we make sure that it balances with the rest of the Scripture. So we've got to make sure that we are to the point. By the way, when I ask that question, I'm confident that there's not one person here that would say, well, only part of the Bible's got a wor Word of God, you know? We ask that question, is the whole Bible the inspired Word of God? And every one of you would answer, amen, yes, it is. So then we've got to ask the next question, because it's within the Word of God, is everything that the Apostle Paul wrote the Word of God, or is part of it not? And so when we look at this text, we've got to understand that it's the Word of God. It's not the Word of Paul, right? It's the Word of God. It's not the Word of Curtis, okay? It's the Word of God. And, um, and I, I say that because... When I look at this text, there's some tough stuff in here, um, and you'll, you'll know what it is when I get there. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll read verses 26 through 40, and, um, and we'll see uh, what we can gain from this. If you want to stand, you stand, please, as we read, if you're able. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, to the church in Corinth. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. 
Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, difficult though it may be, help us to delve into it. And God, open our hearts and our minds to what you say and to what you mean. And help us to be obedient to that. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So now you know, right? Yeah, now you know. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. You know, as I look at this and as I read this, it, it, I go through all of this and, and I read about tongues. I read about prophets and prophesying and I read about women speaking in churches. And, <clears throat> and the thought comes to my mind that there is not a one of you, if I, if I know you well enough, and I think I do, there's not a one of you that would... <clears throat> do want to do or say anything that would cause chaos or would cause a brother to stumble but rather you would ra- but you would rather that everything that you say and do builds up or edifies your brothers and sisters in Christ i know that i believe that okay um, and and the apostle paul writes to this church because it seems like what was happening was that everybody wanted to talk Everybody wanted to sing. Everybody wanted to speak in tongues. Everybody wanted to be the one that interpreted. Everybody wanted to do something that would put them out front. Okay? And <clears throat> you remember how God worked? And sometimes he still does. So be careful if you're the person that doesn't want to be out front. God may use you. Because that's what he did with Moses. That's what he did with Gideon. That's what he did with so many people who didn't want to be noticed. God used them. And they were the ones that God used the most. And the ones that God, <clears throat> that, that, that um, want to be noticed, God goes, eh, I'm setting you aside. You know? I mean, because it's not about us being noticed, okay? You know? It's not about the preacher being noticed. That's, that's part of the reason why, um, why I, I, I hesitated for so long to let the tech team record the sermons. That's why I fought for so long not to do anything on Facebook or YouTube. I, I don't, it's not, I don't want to be a TV preacher. I never wanted to be one of those. I, and I mean, I'm only up here today because this is what God has called me to do. It's not about us. It's about us edifying the church and bringing glory to God. And yet in the Corinthian church, there seemed to be some problems. It was about them, or they thought it was. They were the ones that, that, that they would, and now, w- when you look at this verse, you see they have a psalm, a psalm, or a, some kind of a song. They have a teaching, a tongue, somebody speaking in tongues. They have a revelation, they have an interpretation. <clears throat> That's not all bad. 
when I teach, one of the things that I love to do is get people involved. And sometimes I'll even ask a question while I'm preaching, and somebody will answer it, and I really want one. Most of the time, they're rhetorical, you know? It's like you think in your head and don't answer out loud, but sometimes I want an answer. It's not bad for them to be involved. But the problem that was happening at the church in Corinth was it was chaotic. Could you imagine going to a church where everybody there wanted to be the one that gave the main message? Could you imagine going to a church where everybody there wanted to be the one that led the music and actually tried to? I've got the music for today. I'm preaching today. Can you imagine everybody there wanted to be the one that spoke in tongues, especially if there was nobody to interpret? Okay? Can you imagine if everybody wanted to be the ones that, that shared a revelation? Or maybe they're the, everybody wanted to be the one that was interpreting. How much chaos would that be? How much chaos would that bring? And, and, and that's what it seems like was happening. And I wonder, I haven't found it. I looked it up. I tried to find. <clears throat> I'm not convinced yet. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that they didn't. That, that Corinth, the church at Corinth, didn't have a lead pastor. Okay? One that was specifically tied to the leadership of the worship services. Okay? And so because of that, they had all the prophets that would come in. And all the, those that wanted to teach or prophesy come in and they would take turns getting up. And sometimes they would come together and one of them said, it's my turn. And the other one said, no, it was my turn. Well, I, you go first, I'll go after you. Or I'll go first and then you can go after me. And it was just chaos. And the Apostle Paul says, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, and it's chaos. Can you imagine what would happen here if that would happen? And we had five guests come in. The five guests would go out and they'd put a, uh, a, 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 a review on Facebook and on Yelp and all those places and go, don't ever go there. Those guys are crazy. Stay out of that church. Pray that that church closes. That's what they would do. They would look like we were nuts. And they would think we were nuts. And so um, he says, let all things be done for edification. All things for edification. To edify means to build up, to help us grow, to make us stronger. Let everything be done to build up the church. And if it were for the church to be built up, guess who else needs to be built up? We do. All of us. And it's your job and it's my job to help build up everybody else. And part of the way we do that is, is, um, is we do everything decently and in order. Okay? So, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn. Now, I want you to notice, if you look at the text, verses 27 and 28 talk about speaking in tongues. 29, 30, 31, and 32, and 33 talk about prophets prophesying. Notice how much more he gives to the prophets than he does to speaking in tongues. Then 34 and 35 talk about women speaking in church. Okay, you see which one he talks about the most. It's the prophesying. Okay, there's two reasons for that. Okay, and one of them is because so many people wanted to prophesy, and the other one is because that's what he says that we should be. If we're asking for a spiritual gift, if we want a spiritual gift, that's one we should have. And prophesying doesn't just involve this, okay? Prophesying involves sitting maybe and teaching a group of people. Preparation ahead of time. Not just standing here and God giving us the words to speak, okay? Preparation ahead of time, teaching. We have prophets in this church. You don't recognize them as such, but they are, okay? They're prophesying every Sunday morning when they're teaching in Sunday school class. They might be prophesying to little children, 
They might be prophesying to the ladies' class, to the men's class. Maybe even there's somebody prophesying to the uh, young adult class. We don't know for sure, but maybe he is. I don't know. All right? So he puts a whole lot of time into that. But first of all, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Now, why? Because he sees that as something that is ingrained in the society, in the culture, in the church at Corinth. He doesn't say, stop speaking in tongues in church, okay? Now, later on, he does say um, that uh, um, at the very end of this, um, let him speak to himself and to God if there's no interpreter, but only if there's no interpreter, okay? So what we've got to see with all of these things is that this speaking in tongues is not seen by Paul as something that is uncontrollable by the person who spoke in tongues. They're not just sitting there and all of a sudden they're in a, in a trance-like state and God speaks to them, speaks through them in tongues. That's something that they can control. And he says, so guess what? If there's no interpreter, don't speak. It would seem, although not 100% sure, it would seem that apparently they would know if there was an interpreter there. I mean, face it, if the Spirit of God could give you a tongue that you didn't know to speak in, couldn't he tell you if there was an interpreter there or not? Obviously, he could, right? And so, let two or three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Don't interrupt. Don't cause chaos. Let them speak. Let an interpreter come. Let them speak. An interpreter. Let them speak. An interpreter. So everybody gets what they're saying. Then he says this, but if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let him keep silent in church if there's no interpreter. He doesn't outright rule against it, say no speaking in tongues in the church, but if there's no interpreter, keep silent in the church, speak to yourself and to God. And that way, there won't be chaos reigning in the church or in the church service, and you will be built up and edified in your private prayer life and pri private life. So he goes on. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Two or three prophets. And again, we, 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 we have to be careful about how we, um, how we interpret that word prophets, okay? Because sometimes we, when we look at the Old Testament prophet, um, uh, we see that idea as somebody that, that um, God gives him while he's standing there the exact words to speak. But if you read the prophets... What you read often is God spoke to so-and-so and said, go now and tell them this. You remember that? Go now and tell so-and-so this. And he gives him everything he's supposed to say. Of course, sometimes in that part of it, it's a short synopsis. And when he gets to tell them, it's a whole lot longer sermon, right? But God has told them what to say before they get there, okay? So, so when we think about prophets, sometimes we think falsely about what they were and what they did. God gave them what to say sometimes before and they got there and sometimes when they were there. And so the prophet is not just one who stands up and speaks and preaches like that. A prophet is one who speaks the word of God, whether they've read it and studied it ahead of time and prepared for it and made some notes, um, uh, read commentaries, whatever. Um, by the way, just one page of mine right here, two pages. Look, I got a big star next to that one, Okay. All right, I got a lot of red notes, lines here, so I can go, okay, yeah, because that's from somebody else's commentary, all right? And so I look at it and I go, this is important, I need to say this. This is important, they need to hear this. Um, most of what's on here, you're not going to see it, you're not going to hear it, because I'm just not going to have time for it. 
and I'm not going to read the commentary to you. All right? That would be, what's that called? Plagiarism. Okay? Um, but am I going to read it and study it for me? Absolutely. So the prophet, they look at it, they study it, and they go through all of this stuff, uh, and then they go and they speak. And it could be sitting in the classroom teaching, could be standing in a pulpit preaching, could be outside somewhere preaching uh, on a college campus or something, okay? So the prophet, he gets to the prophet and he says, let two or three speak and let others judge. Because these guys were taught by the Apostle Paul and it's possible that some of them had some misunderstanding. It's possible that some of them didn't quite understand. They learned something from their study that week, from going through the scripture, from talking to others. They wanted to share it with people, but maybe, just maybe, they were going off on a little bit of a tangent and moving into the area of heresy. So the other prophets that were there, guess what? Were to judge what they said. And if something was being said that was incorrect, then the other prophets would have a chance to stand up. Not to rebuke them, not to give them a hard time, but to share correct doctrine instead of incorrect doctrine. So let them judge. And then uh, two or three, each in turn, and let, uh, let's see. Um, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So if the first one is talking and something is revealed to the next one, well, then, um, then the other one may stand up, get ready to speak, and the other one goes to sit down. Now, <laughs> we've never seen anything like that, have we? I mean, face it, we're Southern Baptists. I mean, most of us were even born that way, okay? Some of us were not born Southern Baptists, um, but we are now. And I mean, I'm 60 years old, right? And my first girlfriend was in the nursery at Calvary Baptist Church in Alton, Illinois, my first Sunday after I was born. Now, I'm sure that, I mean, that's the, okay, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I remember that day. I mean, even the room I was born in was beige. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. They were all beige back then. Um, so let me rephrase that, okay? I was born in the middle of the week, and Sunday I was in church. I was, I was in the nursery. And as I grew, my first little crush was on another girl, in, uh, another girl, a girl in the nursery, Okay. Right, at Calvary Baptist Church, Alton, Illinois. I was born a Southern Baptist. And we would never see this kind of thing in a Southern Baptist church. I mean, for the most part, when Southern Baptists stand up for the invitation, they're not holding their hymnals. They're holding on to the back of the pew so they don't have to go forward. <laughs> right? And if they are holding on to the pew, they're on to the hymnal. They're holding on to the hymnal so they don't have to raise their hands to praise God. Okay? I mean, honestly, all right? And those are jokes, but, you know, that's kind of how we are. Um, probably the most active we get in Southern Baptist churches is when the preacher tells a joke. <laughs> yeah. So, we've never seen anything like this. Some churches are, <laughs> are a little bit more, if you want to say it like this, high church. A pastor would never crack a joke from the pr pulpit like this. A pastor would never, I mean... This stuff's not in my notes, okay? You're not going to find this there, all right? A pastor would never stray from their notes. They have a liturgy, and they follow that liturgy 
exactly. They have the books of prayers and the books of psalms and songs, and they know exactly where they're supposed to go. They know when to stand up. They know when to sit down. They know when to, to read that prayer out loud with everybody else or sing that song out loud with everybody else. It's high church. Southern Baptists have never been high church. But we've never been chaotic like that. Okay? And, and, and he's trying, Paul is, to set some order in their worship services to make sure that it's not completely chaotic because chaos doesn't edify. Okay? Um, all of the other stuff can. Okay? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, um, old hymns, new hymns. They can all edify. Tongues can edify if there's an interpreter, right? Teaching, preaching, edify, build us up, helps to strengthen us. But the Apostle Paul said, all the chaos that's going on, that's not building anybody up. That's just making the people in Corinth think you're nuts. And so he set down some orders, and one of them, again, here was for, for the prophets to speak. Not all of them at one time, two or three, and they let the others judge. When one stands up, the other one sits down. For you can all prophesy, listen to this, you can all prophesy one by one. So he didn't say that, these are the only guys that can prophesy. He didn't say, but he did say that not all of you will prophesy on the same day and not all of you are going to stand up prophesying at the same time. One's going to prophesy, sit down, another one's going to get up, prophesy, another one's going to get up and prophesy. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. One of the things that I, that I seriously, I, I love, I love leading a class. I love leading a Bible study. And often it may seem that I do too much of the talking. But I really love to lead a class and to hear from those in the class their insights. Because I'm 60, but I understand and I know that someone younger than me and someone who, who hasn't been to seminary can still have an understanding of the Scripture that I don't yet have. And I'm not afraid of knowing that. And I'm not afraid of understanding that. And I'm not afraid of accepting that as a fact and as truth. I love to hear from others and to learn from them. So, and we can all do that. And, and so, and this, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. If I'm prophesying, I'm not hearing a new truth. But if somebody else is, and they're sharing with me, guess what? I might be hearing a new truth, and I might be encouraged by that. Okay? So you see that there. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is interesting. Because you can take this two ways. You can take this that the spirits of the prophets are subject to all of the other prophets. Or you can take it that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. Okay? In other words, what they could be saying is, hold your tongue. And, and we can look at that in, in all of these a little bit, in the, in the speaking in tongues or in the prophets or in the, one, the command to the women to keep silent in church. Hold your tongue. Because if I can't control my spirit, guess what? I'm in trouble. If I can't control my tongue because I can't control my spirit, I'm in trouble. And so if there's somebody else prophesying and I try to jump up and interrupt them, then that's not a good thing. And so it could be that the one prophesying is being controlled by the other prophets because they're judging what he's saying, or it could be that the one prophesying is controlling his own spirit and his own tongue because he knows what to say, what not to say, and when to sit down. So, 
Okay, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, God knows that confusion doesn't teach. You can't learn anything. You can't be edified if there's confusion. Um, we have how many school teachers do we have here? One's here, one back. We have some that teach. I, there's a um, uh, a poster in the um, in the teachers' break room at Ransom Grade School, and it's got a bunch of corks floating on the top of water. Have you seen this one? It says teaching kindergarten is like trying to um, hold 35 corks underwater all at once. And it doesn't mean the kindergarten teacher's trying to drown the students either, okay? But if you, and, and I, I got to tell you, I've subbed in that class. There's about 15 kids in the kindergarten class, and, um, and they're all lovely. No, really, they are. They're all lovely. Not as lovely as the first graders, but they're all lovely. But there's a lot of them. And, they, and some of them want to be the teacher. And some of them don't want to be taught. And some of them don't know how to sit down. And some of them don't know how to hold their tongue. Notice I didn't say shut up. And if you can imagine being a teacher in a class of 35 of those, okay, that could be chaos. And so when he says, God is not the author of confusion or of chaos, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, we understand what he's talking about when you get that picture, right? Um, you don't even have to have 35 kids. You can have seven if you're the only one trying to take care of them, you know? I mean, I, I, I saw a, a, a meme, and it's talking about the, the women saying, we're going to take a break. Dads, you take care of the kids. And the women are sitting there drinking their iced tea or whatever, and you just hear crying and screaming in the background, right? Because the dads are trying to take care of the kids. Now, I think that's beating the men a little bit too hard. I think dads are better than that most of the time, but you get the picture, okay? So God is not the author of chaos, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, we've got to talk about this because some people believe that verse 34 should start there. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the churches, all right? Now, if that's, and, and guess what? Paul didn't number the verses, okay? I, I mean, you all know that, right? That's not a shock. The numbers were not in the original text, and they're not in most of the, manuscript, in the manuscripts that we find. They were put in later, okay, so that you and I could find the verses easier, all right? So some people believe that, that that's not supposed to be a comma there, but that it's supposed to start the next sentence. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the churches. Now, some people go, well, it can't be because he's got the word churches in there twice. And that wouldn't make sense. And we don't know for sure whether that's how it goes or not. Because not only did they not have the numbers in there, they also didn't have the punctuation. All right? So, um, so there's a lot of trouble with this and a lot of difficulty with this. And I'm praying that when I sit down today, I still am your pastor. Let your women keep silent in the church. We'll go with the, with the text. With, with the New King James, 34 starts with, let your women keep silent in the churches. 
Now, if it doesn't start there, what he's looking at is tradition, okay? As in all the churches of the saints, he's looking at tradition. And by the way, that word saints probably is a word that some people believe is talking about the Jewish saints, okay? Because in the synagogue and in, in the temple, they were allowed to speak, okay? So he's looking at that, possibly, if that really is to be connected with verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Now, there's some other interesting stuff here. Let your women keep silent. That word women um, can be translated the uh, young women, unmarried, married women, and widows. Okay? It can be translated either way. And so some people thought, well, this is talking about wives. Let your wives be silent in the church. And, and there's some good ground for that. But this word in itself doesn't grab that argument, okay? Doesn't win that argument. For they're not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law says. Well, guess what? What if you're a widow? Who are you going to be submissive to, okay? So this word here, submissive as the law says, takes us to the idea that he's talking about wives, okay? So now here's what we've got. We've got the idea or the problem that, that, um, that the men are prophesying. And a woman stands up, maybe his wife, maybe not his wife, and says, no, that's not what it means. Now we've got a problem. Have you ever lost face? That's what's happening here. If, if a man is standing up, okay, either way, the husband of this woman is bring, being brought to shame, okay? And, and so the man stands up, he prophesies. A woman stands up. And prophesies. And by the way, the Apostle Paul doesn't say that that's wrong because if you read in Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, 17, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, reading from the book of Joel. And in Acts chapter 21, 9, in the same man, Philip the evangelist had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Okay? So we know that in the early church, there were women who prophesied. Okay? So, um, so he talks about this and he says, um, they're to be submissive, as the law says. Well, there's really no law that says that. So they believe that the Apostle Paul is going back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, uh, where, um, where the woman was to be submissive to the husband because guess what? She had taken the apple or the fruit, whatever it was, and given it to him and he ate. And now she's supposed to be submissive. Well... Then you look at Genesis chapter 2, 24, where, where uh, the scripture tells us that, that the man will uh, cleave unto his wife, leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And if you look over in, in Ephesians, and you all know this one, and, and, and this is in um, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33, and we won't read the, yeah, we will, whole thing. Wives. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is Savior of the body. Jesus is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject, subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, don't let me stop there, okay? That's what relates to the text we're talking about today. But there's more. And men and women need to hear the rest of this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, and, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And the problem that they're that they believe was happening here was that the wife wasn't being submissive. But that, that by correcting either the husband in front of everybody else or uh, correcting another woman's husband in front of everybody else, the woman was bringing shame on her own husband by doing that because it showed that she was not being submissive to her husband. Now, uh, and, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. To speak out, particularly, against the prophet while he's prophesying. And then, and then we see the, the last things here. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Isn't that interesting? He's asking the Corinthian church, do you know so much that you believe that the word of God came originally from you? The answer to that question is the Word of God did not come originally from them. It came to them through the Apostle Paul, right? But it didn't come from them originally. Now, it may have scattered out among some of the other churches from them. It didn't come from them originally. Somebody else brought the Word of God to them. And it didn't come from Paul originally either, did it? It wasn't the Word of Paul, was it? It was the Word of God. And so what he's dealing with here is this idea that... Um, that Remember how they were so hung up on having knowledge, on being the ones that knew everything? And he's t trying to let them know that you are not the, the beginning of all knowledge and the end of all knowledge. Now, or was it you only that it reached? Did the word of God only reach you? Is it only for you? And the answer to that question again is no. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. If you're not willing to admit that, then go ahead. And some people think that this phrase here, this text here means if he's going to be ignorant about it, just let him go. Ignore him. Don't let him speak in the church anymore. Don't let him talk in the church. Don't let him teach. Just kick him out. Now, I'm not sure that that's what it means, and neither are most theologians. But if he's going to be ignorant, let him be that way. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Notice that? This is the one that he tells him to, to desire. Desire earnestly to prophesy. Why is that? Well, you go back a few uh, 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 to 19, yet in the church, uh, 14, 19, in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Desire to prophesy, to teach to make sure people understand the scripture. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. Because you wonder if some people said, well, we've got all the psalms, we should sing all the psalms, and we don't need to hear the preaching. Somebody said, well, we just need to get the preaching and we need to not have the psalms or no speaking in tongues. And, uh, um, and he said, listen, desire this one and don't disallow any of the others. Let them happen. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently 
and in order. And as you look at that and you think about the the order of worship that we have, most of you know that we do have an order of worship. And yet it's not printed, it's not handed out, but it's it's pretty typical from one Sunday to the next. We have different songs. We have sometimes different music leaders. We have um, uh, different videos, different uh, emphasis in the songs. But our order of worship is pretty much the same. Doesn't have to be. But whatever it is, it's nice to have some kind of an order so that we know what's next. It would be really difficult for me as a pastor if, if the order of worship was unknown to me. I don't know when I'm supposed to get up and do the announcements. I don't know when I'm supposed to get up and preach. It would be difficult. It would be almost chaotic. Let everything be done decently and in order. And again, I'm convinced that nobody here wants to do or say anything that would cause somebody else to stumble in their faith. And quite honestly, I mean, what do we do? We're going to have an invitation. And I really try to relate the invitation to the text. I do. And yet, you know, maybe, maybe it's possible that we've been guilty of some of that. I don't know, but maybe it's possible that we've been, well, we need to do this. We need to make it like this. We need to do this. We need to change this up. We need to do this. And that might just instead of being edifying might be a little bit confusing and maybe even a little bit chaotic. I don't know. You know, I don't deal with the order of worship too much. I just take it, I look at it, and I go, that's what I'm preaching. Oh, announcements too. And so maybe that's something. And if that's something on your heart, it might be that you need to pray. And go, God, I know I like this. I know it's important or I believe it's important. But God, help me to deal with it so that it's not chaotic and so that it's edifying to the church. Might be that, that there's a salvation issue that you need to deal with. In other words, it might be that Jesus is not your Savior. And that you need to go, Jesus, I, I, I don't know. I've been living my life for myself. And now I want to live it for you. You know those words that we pray sometimes, that we share with you to pray, about asking Jesus into your heart? Those aren't magic. Those words, they don't have to be exactly what we say and what, what we share with you. The key is surrendering to Jesus. And so we're going to sing, I believe it's hymn number one, and, uh, and I'm going to be at the front. And it may be that, that what I've talked about, the two things I've issued there and shared with you, may not deal with you, maybe something else. And so I'm going to be at the front, and if you've got something you need to share with me, if you've got something you need to pray about, you come, because God wants you to respond to him today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your forgiveness. God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that, that as we have gone through this, that it didn't just muddy the waters any, but that it helped to clarify some of this, to show 
that some of this is cultural, and it was the context of what was happening in that day. But God, help us all to focus on being edifiers, to edify those that need to be built up and strengthened, to help them to grow in your word and to grow in their faith. Father, if there's anybody here that needs to make any kind of decision for you, Father, I pray that as we sing, that you will move their hearts and that they will make that decision that they need to make. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.